we we love what God's doing here at your church. We we, we love and appreciate you guys, and, and and for that reason, I've sort of been I, I I've been keeping tabs and, and and watching you guys online, which um, which I know in any other context would probably sound really creepy, <laughs> but. Uh, but it's because we love what God's God's doing here, and and one of the things that we love about this this church and what you guys are about is um, you love to serve, right? I mean, like you you don't you don't say you're going to be part of a church plant if you don't love to serve the Lord, if you don't love to serve people, if you don't love to serve the church, because serving is so core and so central to Christian culture, isn't it? Serving is so core and so central to, to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And have we ever asked our question, like, like, why is that? Why is serving so important to following Jesus? And, and some of us would say, well, it's because God has done so much for us, right? Like, God has done so much for me, so I'm going to do a lot for Him. He's done a lot for me, and so I want to do a lot for His people. I want to serve the church. But that's what some people would call sort of this, this debtor's ethic, Right? Like, like God has done a lot for me, and now, now we're in debt to Him, and, 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 and we owe Him. Like, He did this for me, now I'll do this for Him. But that's not the economy of grace, is it? Like, that's not how the gospel works. Here's why we serve. It's because the God we, we worship as Christians, we serve because the God that we worship as Christians is a God who serves. We serve because we follow a God who serves. That's why we serve. And so followers of Jesus are those who have both been served by him, but they also now serve like him. They've been served by him, but now they serve like him. And, and that's what we're, we're looking at this morning. We're, we're, we're looking at what does it look like to follow Jesus, who is the servant king? What does it look like to follow Jesus, who is the servant king. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 13. That's where we'll be this morning. John chapter 13. I'll set up the stage for this passage. This, this moment, this moment right here in John 13, this, this moment that's unfolding here in this passage is sort of this critical turning point, this critical turning point in the life and the ministry of Jesus. It's the last supper, the last meal that he shares with his disciples. And like many other accounts in the Gospels, the words and, 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 and the, the narrative here is just very descriptive. And so as I read these verses, I want us to, I want you to imagine what it would be like to be in this room. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? John 13, verses 1 through 17. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were, who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going now back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet 
and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. And when he washed their feet and poured and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this text that you've preserved throughout human history for us to read, for us to feed upon, for us to be changed by. Jesus, we thank you for the example of what it means to be one who serves faithfully. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would um, preach a sermon through me from this text that's better than I could do on my own, that you might um, bless us with your word, that you might encourage us, build us up, that we might bear fruit that brings you glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Now, we don't, we don't see this part in the Gospel of John, but in the Gospel of Luke, we're told that at this Last Supper, at this event, the disciples had actually just broken out in this huge argument about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom. Like, how, how awkward is that, right? Like, Jesus is about to die, and they're arguing about who's the greatest. Why were they doing that? It's because they knew that Jesus came with good news, but they never imagined how beautiful that good news was. They knew he came with the gospel, with good news, but they never imagined how beautiful that good news was. Like, they knew that Jesus came to save, but in their imaginations were just, just too small to think of the magnitude and the beauty of the gospel, of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection. You see, they believed that Jesus was only an earthly savior. That, that he was going to, to sort of overthrow the, the oppressive Roman government at that time. Like he, they foresaw a, a, temp, a temporal, like a temporary uh, physical salvation. They didn't have any understanding for an eternal spiritual one. They imagined Jesus overthrowing the government like some victorious like military leader. And so here they are arguing about who's going to have the highest position in his cabinet. Right? That's what was going on. Like these guys were so enthralled, so enamored with how the world understands greatness and power. But you gotta love the way that Jesus handles the situation and how he responds. You gotta love the way Jesus responds. Like he doesn't get angry at them. Instead, he he redirects them. 
He, he teaches them. He tells them the way to be the greatest is to serve. And so if you want to be first, you must be last. If you want to be the highest, you have to be the lowest. If you want to be the most, you have to be the least. You have to serve. That's what it means to be great. And Jesus demonstrates that by washing their feet. You see, we know that even in the 21st century, like a time when we have showers and sneakers, that like most dudes have pretty nasty feet, right? It's like easy proof that we fall short of the glory of God. Uh, But in Jesus' culture, like the feet nastiness was like, that that level was through, through the roof. Like back then, you didn't, you didn't have these nice paved roads. You had dirt roads. And animals and humans, like they shared the road. So, I mean, use your imagination what kind of stuff you would stuff, step in, right? Like you had all kinds of gross things stuck to the bottom of these open-toed sandals that they had. And, and in that culture, when you, whenever you walked into this, this nice home, what would happen is a common slave would greet you and wash the feet of every guest. That was the lowliest duty of the most common slave. The foot washer was at the bottom of the social food chain. That role was reserved for those in the culture that were, that were sort of considered like the least of the least of the least. That's who the foot washer normally was. But here, Jesus is washing their feet. Their Lord and teacher is washing their feet. God in the flesh is washing their feet. See, here Jesus teaches that those that are great in the kingdom are those that go low. Those are the ones who will, those people are the ones that will one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If you want to hear that, if you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, then you must serve others faithfully. That's what you want, isn't it? Like if you're, if you're a Christian here today, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you believe that, that God has given you this new life to be spent for him and for others, then you want to hear those words, right? You want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You don't want to hear, well done, at doing like whatever it is that you wanted to do. You want to you wanna hear, well done at serving faithfully, well done at serving like Jesus. So let's look at this passage and ask this question, how do we serve like Jesus? That's what will we'll be answered in this text. How do we serve like Jesus? If you want to know how you can serve like Jesus, then you need to do three things that we'll see in this text. Observe him, rehearse the gospel, and then pursue humility. Let's look at that first one, observe him. If you want to serve like Jesus, you first observe him. <clears throat> Notice, the very descriptive words in, in this text. Like, imagine what was going on in their, in their minds. This, when, this, when Jesus washes their feet, it's like this, this tension in the room, right? It's like pregnant with, with awkwardness. And as we walk through this passage, <coughs> excuse me, I want you to observe how it is that Jesus serves. Just uh, when we observe him, we look through four lenses in which he serves. First, <coughs> excuse me. First is the lens of suffering. 
the lens of suffering. We see this in verse 1. It says, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart. Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart. Like, what was about to happen? What was it that Jesus was about to taste? He was about to taste betrayal, right? He was about to taste death. Thanks, Kim. Like, this is not the most convenient moment in his life to be serving, is it? It's not the most convenient moment for him. Like, he's about to die. He's about to be betrayed. His death was around the corner. He was about to be betrayed, about to be arrested, beaten, and ultimately taken to the cross where he would be murdered, crucified, put to death for our sins. And he knows that. He knows what's in store. He knows what's about to transpire. And now, if you knew that that you were going to die tomorrow and that you were going to die in that way, that you were about to be betrayed, that you were about to die, like, what would you do tonight? What is it that you would be doing? How would you spend your time? Jesus, he sat down for a meal, knowing that agony was right outside the door. Facing the cross before him, Jesus serves. You see, the rest of the verse, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Again, this is not the most convenient moment of his life, but he's not done loving his people. He's not done loving his disciples. That's what he was sent to do to love, to serve, to save them. That's what he was sent to do was to love them. And so he's, not gonna, he's going to, to love them right to the bitter end. The second lens that we observe Jesus' uh, service through is the lens of betrayal. Look at verse 2. He says, During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him. We'll stop right there. Um, You should just think about what's going on right now. Jesus is about to serve his betrayer. It's convicting, right? It's convicting when you sort of like unpack the implications of that. And just recognizing that, man, Judas is present in the room. The man who would betray Jesus is present in the room. Like if you knew that tonight was your last night and the guy setting it up was a friend of yours, like like would you have that guy over for dinner tonight? Would you have him over for dinner? And he didn't just have Judas over for dinner. He washed his feet. In the lowliest of ways, he served Judas, like, can you even fathom that? Can you even imagine that? Imagine if you had this close friend that you spent nearly every day with for a few years and you invested every moment of that season with him. You invested into them. You cared for that friend and you never, ever sinned against that friend. And then for some reason, they go behind your back and plot against you to, to murder you. Like, let's be honest, most of us, if a guy like that was in front of us and we had a basin of water, like, we wouldn't be rinsing his feet. We'd want to, like, dunk his head in it, right? Like, that's what we'd want to do. But Jesus, he washes the feet of Judas Iscariot, the very feet that are going to walk out of that room, away from the table to betray him for only a few dollars. You see, Jesus is about to be betrayed by this man. and He knew that. He knew that. He knew that this act of kindness wasn't going to change Judas. He wasn't doing it like, hey, maybe if I do this for Judas, he'll change his mind. He'll change. 
Jesus knew he would never change. Yet he still serves him. You see, Jesus washed Judas' feet ultimately not for Judas, but for the Father. For God, he knew, look, he said, look, Judas is never going to appreciate this act of service, but the Father does. Judas may never show me love back, but the Father does. And so this isn't a waste of my time because I'm not doing this for him. I'm doing this for the Lord. I'm doing this out of love for the Father. See, that's humility. That's humility and service. It's saying, look, I'm not going to serve this person because I'll make a return on my investment. I'm not going to serve this person because I'll get something back. I'm doing it because I love the Lord. I'm doing this for him and he knows my heart and I want what's coming out of my heart in action to serve him, to honor him, to bring glory to him. Think about how you feel when you're betrayed. Are you less motivated to serve when you're not feeling appreciated? Are you less motivated to serve when you think you might not see a, a, a return on this investment? When you might not be noticed for it? <clears throat> like, man, sometimes we're so reluctant to serve just because of perceived snubs, right? Like, we perceive that somebody snubbed us, and so we're reluctant to serve them. Jesus served in spite of actual betrayal, in spite of actual gossip, actual slander, actual hatred from others. Like if there was a friend that stuck closer than a brother, it wasn't any of these 12 guys in that room in the hour of his betrayal. And he's serving every single one of them. Just marvel at how Jesus serves. The king who serves through his suffering in the midst of betrayal. Here's the third lens that we look through is through the lens of his power. Look at verse 3. He says... The Father had given all things into his hands, into Jesus' hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God. In the NIV, it says, all things were put under his power. You see, Jesus knew who he was. He knew in his heart that he was the rightful king of the world. Elsewhere, the Bible calls him the king of kings right? The Lord of Lords. Jesus knew who he was. He's the master of heaven, the judge of demons, the sovereign king who owns it all. There's no limit to his dominion. And he's the word through whom the, the whole universe was created. And he holds it together through the, the sheer power of his will. Like that's Jesus. That's our Jesus. That's our Christ. And yet even still knowing who he was that Jesus takes off his outer garments, puts a towel around his waist, and assumes the posture of a lowly slave and washes their feet. Why is authority and power given by God? You see, authority is given to God's people. Like God gives us gifts. He gives us authority. He gives us power. It's given to God's people in order for us to serve like Jesus. 
See, God has shaped uniquely every single one of us. Gifts, authority, dominion, to, to serve Him and to serve now others. That's why He gives power and authority. It's not to control others. It's not to manipulate others. It's not to get something back, but He gives power and authority to, to serve. You see, you might, you might have a heart to serve in this church plan, in this church here at Resurrection OC. You might have a heart to serve your neighbors or, or, or serve one another. And some, some of you guys, like, like you're, the ways that you serve, like if you're a, you're a pastor or a ministry leader or, or, or you know, like, like if, you, if you're up in front of people, some of you, like, like your foot washing, your service is public. Right? And others of us, most of us, our foot washing is private. It doesn't matter whether you have a public role in service, a public foot washing, or private foot washing, like no matter what camp you're in, both have a temptation to use the gifts, use the authority, use the power that God has given us to serve ourselves and not others. We use the gifts God has given us to make much of ourselves rather than spending it on those around us. Look at verse 3 again. Jesus, it says that Jesus was the one that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he came from God and was going back to God. See, as far as power, dominion, authority, giftedness, like it end, like Jesus is, is the standard, right? Like it doesn't get any bigger than him. It doesn't get any better than him. And yet he uses his authority. He uses his position to make himself low, to make himself serve. You see, Jesus has glory in the past. He has glory in the future. And yet here he is in this passage in the present, washing feet. What does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus doesn't find glory in spite of his service. He finds glory in his service. See, that's where greatness is. It's in being low. You don't find glory in spite of serving in a lowly way. You find glory in serving lowly. So how do you find ultimate glory? That's a question for us this morning. Like, what are the things in which we find our ultimate glory? Is it in how people respond to us? Is it in our sense of worth and self-ambition, in our social status, how appreciated we feel, how affirmed we are? Or do we find it in washing feet? Like our God and King. Do we find it in going low? So we observe Jesus through the lens of his suffering, his betrayal, his power, and fourthly, we observe him through the lens of dirt. Dirt and grime. We see that in verse 4 and 5. 
Read it with me. Imagine Jesus here. He rises from the table and it says he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist and then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Man, what a humbling picture, right? Like it must be extremely humbling to have the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lordings and King of Kings wash your feet. Like what is more humbling than that? What is more awe-inspiring than that? What is even more scandalous than that? Here's what's more scandalous than that is having Jesus Christ also now die for your sins. To have him die for your sins. You see, his blood flowed to wash over the dirt of our sin. With his crimson blood, we are washed white as snow. He takes the worst of us and then he brings us to God. You see, I think the whole part of the whole like Judas thing in this passage is that like we like to think that we're better than Judas, right? Like we like to think, man, I would never do that if I was in that situation. And, and I think this is a lie that we love to, to tell ourselves, right? Like Jesus, Judas is, he's a jerk, he's a crook, he's a backstabber. And, and because of that, like he, he deserves to go to hell. He, doesn't, he shouldn't be served by Jesus. Why? Because he's a bad guy and Unlike, unlike me, who's like, I'm one of the, the good guys. See, but the issue is, when we ask ourselves, like, has Christ loved me? Has he served me? Has he forgiven me? Has he not just cleansed my feet, but cleansed my soul? Has he dealt with not just my dirt and grime, but also my sin? And if you're a Christian here this morning, then the answer to those questions is yes. He has. He surely has. So then how am I any different than Judas? How am I any different than Judas? Have, have I maintained this, have you ever like maintained this outward sense of religious piety, this righteous piety when in your heart you knew you were wicked and dirty? Has that ever been you? Have you ever taken the resources and the gifts that God has used you and rather spending it on him and on others like, like Judas should have? You squander it? Or have you ever thought at times like Judas that God was wrong or that God didn't know what he was doing or that he couldn't be trusted? Or have I ever argued that my ways are better than his ways? I totally have. I totally have. We all have. That's the point of the gospel, isn't it? Like, that's, that's the whole thrust of this book. It isn't, hey, try harder, like do more of this stuff over here and do less of that stuff over there. Like this book, it's, a, it's this unfolding story. It's a story of God's scandalous love. You see, sometimes we listen to messages on serving and then we think like, okay, cool, I'm gonna try harder at that, right? Like I'm gonna hear what it means to serve and now I'm gonna do that more. I'm gonna try harder. You see, that's a good way to create temporary servants, but not faithful servants. Faithful servants come by encountering Jesus, by being moved by him, by encountering his grace, being transformed by his grace and then letting the magnitude of who he is as we observe him, as we read about him, having the magnitude of who he is just impact your soul. You let it sink in. 
So that's why we need to observe Jesus if we want to serve faithfully. The second thing we do is we rehearse the gospel. We rehearse the gospel. Look at verse 6. You see, you and I, like, we, can, we can never fully, like, faithfully serve Jesus in, in, a perf- in the perfect way he does, right? And so what do we do? We rehearse the gospel to ourselves. Look at verses 6 through 9. Jesus is going to every single disciple. He's washing their feet. Verse 6, it says that he, Jesus, came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? It's like apparently one of Peter's spiritual gifts is stating the obvious. Um, But verse 7, Jesus answered him, what am I doing? What am I doing? Or what I am doing? Sorry, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. And Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. You see, we don't just go from observing the way Jesus serves to serving like him. We, we go from observing him to rehearsing the gospel. From observing him to remembering his grace. You see, Jesus calls us from a world where the king washes feet. But if that's what the king does, then what does a slave do? You see, that's why Peter's kind of all upset about what's happening in these verses. That's why he's all upset about Jesus washing their feet because he's bummed and he's just like flipping out because he doesn't want his worldly values kind of inverted. He doesn't want his worldly values and what he understands about greatness and power to be turned on its head. And that's why he erupts in sort of like this disgust. He says, you shall never wash my feet. So apparently he's a guy who also wants to tell Jesus what to do, right? And like we totally do the same thing, right? We like to tell Jesus what to do. We like to say, no, I don't like that inverted. I don't like the way your kingdom works. I think it should work like this. But here's how Jesus answers. He says, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. You have no part with me. You see, Peter had a hard time because he wanted to stand on his own two feet. He didn't want to be served in this way. This guy that he aspired to be like, Jesus, his rabbi and teacher, is taking the lowliest of positions. He didn't like that. And so he he erupted in, in disgust. You see, he had a hard time because he wanted to stand on his own, but but you can't. You can't. <clears throat> and Peter was more broken than he ever imagined. And so, so are we. So are we. You know what we are? If you're if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a trophy of God's grace. Not a trophy of your own ambition or your own self-righteousness or your own religious works or a trophy of how awesome you are. You are a trophy of God's grace. You see, we can only serve the Lord as trophies of His grace. Like, we don't serve with badges of our own self-righteousness or patches of our religious piety. Like, we serve as trophies of divine grace. And so if you want to be a kingdom servant, If you want to be a kingdom servant, then you must first 
know that you are a redeemed servant. You rehearse the gospel to yourselves. You know that it's not about what you do, but it's about what he has done. You must go from observing Jesus to rehearsing the gospel to then serving the servant king and his people. That's the order we go in. You see the gospel, the good news, that's what fuels our service. That's what fuels our service. You gotta love that. Peter goes from denying the Lord Jesus at his death to preaching at Pentecost after his ascension. In just a matter of weeks, Peter goes from being the guy who like did not get Jesus, was like always sticking his foot in his mouth, telling Jesus what to do, to being the one who preaches about him when, when, the, when the church just kind of explodes in growth. Man, we need to be this way too. We need to be this way too. You see, sometimes we, 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 the way that we serve um, is it's like we're trying to pay God back or we're doing it out of guilt. But man, that robs God of glory. The glory that he, of what he's done for, for you. We need to be this way. We need to be the kind of people that know that, like, man, regardless of how many times that I've betrayed Jesus, that I've slighted him today, yesterday, last week. And Peter preached at Pentecost just weeks later. Man, I can serve God and his people. Tomorrow. Today. Like, my sin doesn't hold me down. I rehearse the gospel. I remember his grace. That gospel is what fuels my service. It's not out of guilt, but it's out of grace. So ask yourself the question, like, are you a servant who's primarily aware that you're saved by grace? Like, is that your identity? Is your identity that as somebody who is a son of God, a daughter of God, who's been saved by grace? Or is your identity that, hey, I'm a good person? Is your identity that I'm a good person or is it that I'm a redeemed person? Is it your identity in earning the love of others or as somebody who is already fully loved in Christ and so you you serve out of that? Is your identity as somebody who desires to be known for your works or somebody who delights in Jesus and what he accomplished for you on the cross? Rehearse the gospel. Remember his grace. And lastly, number three, we pursue humility. You see, if you've done that, if you've observed the way Jesus serves, and if you rehearse the gospel, remember his grace, now you pursue humility. Look at verse 12 and 13 with me. It says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. All that we have, all that we have as Christians, and all that we are belongs to Him. Your identity, your very identity, definition, purpose, calling, it all belongs to Him. In verse 4, Jesus continues, He says, If I then... Your Lord and teacher have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. You see, right there, that leads to sort of this like double dose of humility. This high proof humility. I belong to Jesus and Jesus is the one who serves everybody. I belong to Jesus and Jesus is the one who serves sinners. 
I belong to Jesus and he laid his life down to the lowly, the despised, for sinners like me. And so I should do the same. See, what does this mean? It means that we run toward humility for as long as you can. You serve the way that he served. You find whatever your proverbial foot washing is, your lowliness, and, and, and you go there. Jesus is not lowlier than us. If he's willing to take that place in the service of others, we should be too. Not, not because we, we owe it to him, but because we follow him. So we serve others and we pursue humility in the face of suffering, in the face of betrayal, in whatever power God has given us. And when there's dirty work to be done, we serve. You know what it says when we pursue humility in this way? It says, I'm not greater than Jesus. I'm not greater than Jesus, the servant king. That's why he says in verse 16, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. The lower we go in service, the higher Jesus is raised. The higher he is exalted. I want to close by reading to you guys this quote um, from a biography that this... um, modern day theologian D.A. Carson he wrote a a biography about his father who was a small town pastor a small town church planter and one of D.A. Carson's heroes I want you to listen to what D.A. Carson says about his father Tom he says writing in the biography he says Tom Carson He never rose very far in denominational structures, but hundreds of people in the Utaway, it's this region in Canada, and beyond testify how much he loved and served them. He never wrote a book, but he loved the book. He was never wealthy or powerful, but he kept growing as a Christian. Yesterday's grace was never enough. He was not a far-sighted visionary, but he looked forward to eternity. He was not a gifted administrator, but there is no text that says, By this all men shall know that you are my disciples if you are good administrators. His journals have many, many entries bathed in tears of contrition. But his children and grandchildren remember his laughter. Only rarely did he break through his pattern of reverse and speak deeply and intimately with his children. But he modeled Christian virtues to them. He much preferred to avoid controversy than to stir things up. But his own commitments to historic confessionalism were unyielding. And in ethics, he was a man of principle. In his own ecclesiastical circles were rather small, or his own ecclesiastical circles were rather small and and, and narrow, but his reading was correspondingly large and expansive. He was not very good at putting people down except on his prayer list. 
And when he died, there were no crowds outside the hospital, no editorial comments in the papers, no announcements on television, no mention in parliament, no attention paid by, by the nation. In his hospital room, there was no one by his bedside. There was only the quiet hiss of oxygen, vainly venting because he had stopped breathing and would never need it again. But on the other side, on the other side of that, all the trumpets sounded. Dad won entrance to the only throne room that matters, not because he was a good man or a great man. He was, after all, a most ordinary pastor. But because he was a forgiven man, and he heard the voice of him whom he longed to hear saying, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. beautiful passage to read from, isn't it? Are you a follower of Jesus? Like, do you long to hear that? Like, if you find yourself weary or discouraged in trying to serve like Jesus, remember that day. Have an eternal perspective. Remember that day. You can serve just like him in the midst of suffering, in the midst of betrayal, with ever how much or how little power he's given you. In the dirtiest of acts of service, you can serve and you can persevere because you remember that day. That day was purchased for you. Already purchased. There's no more debt. It was purchased for you by the blood of Jesus. God himself, who has countless, infinite reasons to condemn us, will instead commend us all because of the perfect life and sufficient death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we observe him, we rehearse his gospel, we pursue Christ-like humility, and I'll leave you with the words of Jesus in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, for serving us. knowing that we are the ones who least deserve your love and your grace. Lord, we love you. And we love the things that you love. We long to love the things that you love, like serving others. Not in spite of glory, but to get a glimpse of your glory. God, if there's anyone here this morning who just feels tired and, and burdened from serving and not feeling appreciated, not knowing if it matters, not knowing if there's a return on investment, Lord, I pray that you they would experience the freedom of the gospel of grace this morning. 
there's anyone here who who doesn't know you, who doesn't love you, who doesn't worship you as God, I pray, Lord, that, that they would stand and marvel at the beauty of who you are, the God who took on flesh, the King who serves. Lord, we've observed you in this passage. We remember your grace. Now by your spirit, help us to pursue humility in the way that you would. To pursue greatness in being the least. For your name, for your glory, we pray. Amen.